Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. We're going to do what we can to build people into the kingdom of God. That when they're in the kingdom of God, we want to build them up in the kingdom of God. What are we doing to add value to their life spiritually? And to do that, we might have to spend time playing with them so that later on we can provide them with the kind of training that they might need. And here's the second one, and that is to make disciples of all nations. And so what are we doing to build? What are you doing to build your family? Are you reading books on how to be a better dad and how to help your son to become a great man of God and your daughter to be sweet and tender in spirit and yet at the same time have leadership ability in her own right? What are you doing? Can you take on your family and say, you know, I might, I might be in prison on my job. They don't let me do anything. They don't give me any resources to do what I want to do on my job. But my home, I can do something with it. And some of you might have, whoa, whoa, boy. I'm going to get in trouble with this. But some men have not been the kind of influencers in the home. So for so many years, the wives have had to do that. I put hats off to the wives. And so you can't now go home from this message and arrest away from your wife all that she has done so well with your family because you haven't been there. So you're going to have to gingerly do this. But wives, allow your husband to have that influence because still God gave you him. Out of all the men on the earth, he permitted you to get married. And through him, you have that child or children. And so there's something in your husband that's a skill set that God is building in them to help him, and especially if your husband wants to turn around. So be a builder. Build your family. Build a church. Build your ministry. Build your business. But change it now. Your purpose is to glorify God. Number three, it's a fight. Men sometimes like to fight. I don't know if I like to fight, but I will tell you that I'm a little competitive. Every man has a fight in him. And the difference is the fights that he wins will always be the ones that he wins for the glory of God. Every fight that he thinks he wins, but he doesn't do it with a pure heart turned toward the Lord, he's lost that fight even if he's won that game because he didn't do it for the glory of God. When I talk about building, building and battling is different. In the Old Testament, there was a wall that was needed to be built all around a city. And there was a leader by the name of Nehemiah. There was a lot of opposition from the people that lived in the city, and there was a whole lot of opposition by people outside the city. So much so that they all feared for their life. So what he told them to do, while you're building, you're going to take a trowel in one hand, and you're going to take a weapon in the other hand. Can you imagine trying to build it? You're kind of doing it at half speed. You're always looking to see, are they coming over that mountain after me as we're building this thing? It was a perfect example. These guys built this wall with all this opposition and record-breaking time, and God smiled on them when they got done because these men stepped up to their character of being builders and battlers at the same time. So, you moms, if you've got a kid in your family that sometimes argues back to you, that's probably his battling nature that's inside there. And so you kids, I don't want you to think I've given you a license to battle with your mom or your sisters, but I am telling you, I know that's inside of you, so your battle is not with them, your battle is with your own nature. And the good news is is that God says, I've got more power inside of you because I know how to battle evil better than you do, and now I'm inside of you, and I'll help you win that battle. So when you have that battle, it's an internal conflict. So you don't let that little monster out against others. You control it to the glory of God, but you're still a battler. And may I tell you that some of this battle that we have is a great battle because there is a lot of evil in this world. And there's evil that's coming against us, coming against the church and against God. And so we're going to battle it. 
if we go to battle and he's the commander of our army and we're in his army, he has the greatest strategy for victory in that battle. So guys, let loose of the battle tendency that you have. Step up to the cause. I'll tell you that at the end of your life, if what you do is spend most of your time getting involved in so many different clubs and parties and fun stuff and just sitting around what I call smoking and joking, you'll come to the end of your life and you'll have no conflict, but you'll accomplish very little. You'll regret it. And the worst thing of all men is that it's quite possible that you've raised another generation of men just like you. And we don't want to do that. So today we're going to carpe diem. We're going to seize the moment. So we want to be a caring man. So there is a tenderness about us. We're going to be consistent. They can count on us to keep our word, but we're also going to be cooperatives. So here's the question you can ask yourself, and that's this. Am I in a small group of other guys learning how to be a man of integrity? Look at the verse, because there's tremendous power when we're together on a team. Judges 20, verse 11 says this. So all the men of Israel were gathered together against the city. One translation says, knit together is one man. That's another translation, I like it, says, united together is one man. It still is the same thing, so don't fight it. It means being together. So what the guys did is they got together, they realized what their enemy was, and together they fought the enemy. This is critical. Even though they were united, I have to believe that there were some guys that says, let's use this weapon. And the other guy said, no, 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 we're going to use this weapon. The other guy said, I'm going to come around from this side. The other guy said, no, I'm going to come over here. You get in this side. No, you over here. No, I want to be over there. I think there had to be some disagreement. If you all agree, say, uh-huh. You're going to have some disagreement in this thing because sometimes it's the synergy of the disagreement that you have consensus that comes out with a better way to do it. But they never lost sight of their bigger issue. It wasn't, do I use this weapon or that weapon? Do we leave at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock? It wasn't none of that. It was, we got an enemy. That city is an evil city. We've got a big problem. So regardless of all this pettiness that we have, let's get it together. Let's knit together to fight this thing to make it work. And so help refocus the guys when there's some disagreement and remind them what the bigger issue is what the better issue is, where we really need to go. That's taking the high road, and believe me, it'll be easy because there's not much traffic on it. And I encourage you to do that. That's why it said knit together. That's why I encourage our men to be together. I'm wondering if Jesus called 12, all different personalities, some different backgrounds, some families, some not, a rummy in the group named Judas, put them all together, to remind us that you still need to have a team to accomplish his greater goal, which is that the world may know that Jesus died and paid for sin. He didn't just call one guy who was really super Christian. He called a group of guys together. I wonder if that's the purpose. I just wonder. I think it is, personally, that God wants to use a group. I want to be men that God can use. Let's go to number four. All right, number four, you've got to be a committed man. And you know the word committed, but I love this. Follow along as I read the verse to you. This guy, Epaphroditus, he wasn't just a brother, a builder, a battler, but he was also your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So if you want to circle the word messenger, in other words, he came with a purpose to tell you something. He didn't just come to hang. He didn't come to just shuck and jive. He came there to say something to you, something of value, something that will help change your thinking to change your life. Then it says here, but he also ministered to my need. In other words, he served too. He, he, he was quiet enough to listen to where I hurt, where I had a need, 
He was also someone that was willing to wear working clothes. And so he was a messenger, minister to mind you. Then it says, since he was longing for you all, underline the word longing. That's the compassion part in another character. So it's not just Timothy had that personality trait to care. Epaphroditus here also longed and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. He was sick. In fact, almost to death, the Bible says. And he was so sorry that you heard that he was so sickly. But he says, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Sorrow because he'd be so sick. Sorrow because I don't know what's going on with you. I'd have double sorrow. Therefore, I send him the more eagerly. Probably he's the one who went instead of Timothy. Could have sent both. Wanted to send both, but probably sent Epaphroditus. That when you see him again, you can rejoice. It's not about me. It's about you. And then he says, and I may be less sorrowful when I know. All right, here's Epaphroditus' name and what it means. It actually meant a lot of stuff at the beginning, but it came to mean the word lovely. I know that sounds so sissy, but what a name, a man's name to be called lovely. Probably a lovely person by virtue of his character. You know, lovely men. There are men that can have an impact upon the world and still be lovely because they're connected to God. In fact, even Jesus was referred to as, here it is, he was altogether lovely. What a special man Jesus was. So you have that in a man who's the committed man. Very, very committed. Now, watch what I'm about to say because this gets really cool. A committed man is a man who takes a responsibility. Either it's given to him and he has no choice or he volunteers to do it or steps up to do it. But the committed man is the guy who sees it to the end. And now that is cross-culture against our culture today because now you see people that want to get out of military before their time. They want to quit their jobs and go to the next one. They want to leave their boyfriend, their girlfriends rather. They want to leave their marriages. They abandon their kids. They go from one church to the next church. You know, in other words, they don't stay committed in one place. And now as I look at that, I look at two great examples. I look at Paul where he says this, I have fought the good fight. He was a battler. I finished the course. He was a good builder. And he says, I am all done, ready to offer my life up at the end of his life. He didn't quit. He finished what he set out to do at the beginning of his Christian walk. And then I look at Jesus. By the way, Paul had all sorts of opposition. But he said, I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm going to stay to it true to the end. Now you got Jesus over here. Jesus was given a job, and that was to take the sin of the world upon himself, die, rise again from the dead. And when he was up on the cross getting ready to finish up this whole thing, He's up there, could have stopped at any time he's got, and all he said was this, it is what? Finished. He was a man who was committed to the end. And so, guys, I'm going to bring it real close to us. If you started cleaning out the garage, finish it. If you started cleaning the trunk of your car, finish it. If you started on your job in a project, finish it. If you started something, get it done. Now, I'm not putting a timetable on this thing, but we can all play games and say, I, it's not finished yet, I'm going to finish it. Well, try to do it in your lifetime, all right? My point still being is when you take something on, watch this, watch this, be a person of your word. When you say you're going to do it, do it. If you're going to call somebody and you say you're going to do it, finish it, call them. If you're going to write a letter, write a letter. If you're going to do something, do it. If you take on a project, do it. If you're going to say you're going to show up at something at church, show up at church and do it. Be a person who is committed. Now, your example, watch this. Your example is someone who still did it even when they were nigh unto death. So that means we do it sometimes when we're sick. And we don't feel well when there's a greater opposition or when we're extremely tired. We, we look at our life, we set our priorities, we put them in order, 
And we're a man of our word. We keep our commitments. We're committed as we get this thing done. So here's your question. Ask yourself, what job have I not completed? Will I become a man of my word? All right, number five, a courageous man. A courageous man. I think in order for us to truly be a caring man, a true caring man, we have to be courageous. Look at what it says here. Receive Epaphroditus, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold those kind of guys, so not just him, there must have been an army of men like this, in esteem. In other words, hold them in value. Because of the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life for a purpose. And that was to supply or to provide for you what was lacking in your service toward me. In other words, he came to help you to help me. He was trying to bring us together here, not regarding. That word not regarding is a neat word in the Greek. It's a gambling word, and it's the word, it was used for gambling, but it means that he, he wasn't afraid to hazard his life. Now, we would say today, in our masculine context, we wouldn't say, have you hazarded your life today? Yeah, I took the freeway to work. No, 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 no. It would be the word risk. Are you willing to risk? Are you a risk taker? Now, I have to be quick to say that there are some guys, they are so risk-taking that their families are suffering, their careers are suffering, their businesses are suffering because they're throwing caution and wisdom and discernment to the wind and they're risk-taking. Watch this now. That's probably because they've got a problem in integrity in another area and so it's all goofed up in their risk-taking nature that they have. On the other hand, there are those who never take a risk. They never step out. And you know why? Because they lack faith. And the reason they lack faith is because they don't have an intimate relationship with God because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So risk takers, proper balanced risk takers, those that don't go too far where they snap or those that go too short where they never accomplish anything are those that are assertively hanging on to God, believing that, God, you can make this happen. You've got to get out of the boat. You can't be like the disciples in the boat. Get out of the boat. That's a risk taker. When you feel, I don't know if I can do this, you take it to the Lord, you sense it, you go to your, your, your board of spiritual advisors in your life, get a consensus of what's happening, but be willing to go to them for the purpose of possibly, and probably, taking that risk. That's what builds families. Willing to take a risk when everybody else says no, you're going to say yes, or when they all say yes, you're going to say no. Taking a risk at work to stand up for what is right, but also to take on some new challenges. Because the more you stretch, the more you have to trust, the more you're going to learn, the more you might be able to accomplish for God. This church will be nothing more than a maintenance body of people that come on Sunday morning and sit together. Unless we're willing to, by faith, take some risks for the glory of God. There's always safety in the closet. But you'll shrivel up and die in a closet. So we have to take a risk. And that's what the word not regarding or hazarding his life to do that. So here's our question. Ask yourself, am I becoming lazy or will I pay the price to lead my family to greater godliness and ministry involvement? I want to wrap this up with an example. And the example definitely will not be me. It cannot be me. The greatest example for you men, because I want to put a man in front of you. Now, it would be helpful, perhaps, if I could put a, a star athlete in front of you, or I could put a tremendous executive builder, maybe a big corporate leader, a founder of a corporation. Some of you, a great teacher, educator. But I'd like to bypass all of them, because whatever they are, it's only to the degree that there's someone that's greater that helped them to do it or permitted them to do it. 
And that would be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you will, for just a moment, let me show you why he is your example and why we need to be partnered with him. In other words, we need to embrace him. First of all, he was a very caring God. John 3.16 says, For God so cared for the world, for God so loved the world, and he didn't just have that emotion of sweetness for the world, but he gave himself for the world on the cross. Let my right hand represent you and me, and my wallet represents sin. The Bible says we've all sinned and missed the mark of the glory of God. In fact, because I'm a sinner, I've got a tremendous need. My need is so great that I can't get rid of that sin. I can't pile on a lot of good works. I am so needy with this problem of sin. I am lost. I am desperately lost. I can't do it. Someone has got to not help me, got to take over for me. So here's where God comes in. A caring God in the person of Christ. For God so loved me in my need that he gave his only son on the cross. That's the caring part. Died again, rose again from the dead, and simply said this, if you believe in me, you won't perish but have everlasting life. But there's also a second thing. He was consistent. Consistent means this, that he had integrity. When Jesus Christ died, he wasn't a great good figure for the world or the best religious leader. He was the only God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And those that are embracing other religions today, they will tell you, often that they aren't the God, that they are great gods or great powerful beings. But if your heart of hearts will tell you that there is only one God and he's chosen to reveal himself in the person of Jesus Christ, he was a holy God. And when he said, I'm going to die and take your sin on myself and pay for it 2,000 years ago, he did it because, watch this, thousands of years before that he was brought into the world and then between, I mean, not brought into the world, but talked about in Genesis, and then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it was focused that he would do this, so he actually did what was told to you and me that he would do. He was a man of his word. Number three, he was cooperative. Now, you might say, how does that fit in? I don't have to cooperate with him. First of all, he's cooperative in the sense that you had God gave the Son, the Son gave the life, the Holy Spirit came into our life to convict us of sin. Now, here's how we cooperate with him. When he died and paid for our sins, him doing all of that still does not get us into heaven. Now what I need to do is to trust in him, cooperate with God, believe that he is the Lord who died for me. When I place my faith in him without any good deeds, I am now part of his community of the redeemed and I will not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't love one person, he loved the whole world. He's willing to cooperate with any of you. Any of you that want to go to heaven is by trusting Christ. And I don't care too much for the word cooperate. Because he didn't just share our sin, he took all of it. Number four, he was committed. I love that. He didn't just go to the cross, he stayed on the cross. He didn't die for part of our sins and we pay for part. He committed himself and he died a complete death and he rose again. So he stayed committed. He didn't change the message. He didn't say in the Old Testament, be good, New Testament, faith. He didn't say in the Old Testament, by faith, New Testament, be good. He said all the way through from Genesis to Revelation, from the book of Index to Maps, (laughs) he said it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. He stayed committed to that same message. And as far as a risk taker, I don't know how much risk taking he did, but I know this. For some of you, it's going to be the biggest risk you'll ever take. Because right now, your risk is this. If you do not trust Christ as Savior and you go thinking the way you do it, my question to you is, how do you know that your belief system, watch this, is absolutely, flawlessly right? How can you prove that scientifically, historically, prophetically, that your system is right? You can guarantee exactly what you believe will get the exact results when you die, that you believe that it will. Can you actually prove that? 
you're taking a tremendous risk of faith. And over here, your risk of faith, that's a little bit of risky because you're having to now turn from your old belief system to now Christ. And now your risk of faith is you have to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. How many prophecies said that he was? Your risk of faith is to put your faith completely and totally in him, which means abandoning your entire belief system, even if it include a behavior system. And now put your full faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. Watch this now. But you have a less risk going this way than if you went the other way to your present belief system. This is a lot less risky. Why? Because of scientific prophecies to prove the Bible is true. Historical accuracies to prove the Bible is true. Prophetic prophecies that were made about Christ to prove the Bible is true. The historicity and longevity of the Bible to prove that the Bible is true. The changed lives of people who dramatically had something happen to them that only God could have done it. And the Bible is replete with people then as there are people today. So you now have visible proof and a degree of visible faith through what God has said in the word to now place your faith alone in Christ. So if you really want to take a risk, stay where you are. If you want to really come across the line and get where you should go, it's by faith alone in Christ alone. Would you bow your head? I love you guys and gals for right now. I pray for you that together we would become all what God would want us to be. First for the man that we would be the man that God would call us to be. Our model is Christ. He was caring, consistent, cooperative, committed, and courageous. Woo! Courageous. And here's what we need to do is to come to him by faith. And men, here's what we can say. Lord, I am a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. I know that I haven't measured up. I've fallen short. But I'm going to accept the payment Christ made for me on the cross. I believe the Bible's inspired. I believe it is true. I don't understand all the Bible. I'm I'm honest enough to admit that. I do know that Jesus is God and he did die and rise again and I'm going to place my faith in him. Now you can sort out all the other stuff, talk to the people, read the books, we'll help you. But right now the key to your salvation is found only in Christ. How much faith do you need to have? I guess if I could put it in a visible form, it'd be the size of a grain of mustard seed. If you need to see it in a person, I want you to think of a little child. How much faith can a little kid have? That's all the faith you need to have, as long as it's in the right object. It is not in Christ and your good works. It is only in Christ. Now it's between you and the Lord. And if you're calling upon him and you're saying, yes, Lord, thank you for dying and paying for my sins, I'm trusting you to give me eternal life. God bless you. Men, you know, sometimes we think, oh, we men, we're wimpy and we're shy and all of that. I think... I'm not going to do it, but I think it'd be helpful for us to be willing to stand up as men and take our first risk to go public and say, we want to be the kind of man that God will use. We know that there'll be times that we'll fail in our caring and we won't be as caring as we should, but we're going to step up and be more caring. We're going to be more consistent, more cooperative. We're going to be more committed. We're certainly going to go to him for more courage. But guys, I know that there's something in this list that you might see that you can work on. A biblical principle that the Holy Spirit is now speaking to you. Your conscience is telling you this. The Spirit of God is ministering to you right now. You have a choice. How many of you would like for me to pray for you, men? Because you are willing to make the mental changes that will change your life as a Christian. To be, or at least to become, the man that God could use. God bless you, men. God bless you. Would you pray for your pastor too? I want to be that man.
I want to lead you. I want to serve you. I want to learn from you guys what God's teaching you to teach us, to reach others. Let's do this. Let's go on this journey together, guys. And wives, help us. Pray for us. Be patient with us. God's not finished yet with us. That's not an excuse for us to get lazy, but be there for us. Guys, my little brother's in here. Even though you're a teen, you're my little brother for a moment. I want you to step up. You can become a a man of God, not a boy of God, but a man of God right now where you are. You make some changes. You make some choices. Wouldn't it be great what God can do through... Do you know? Do you know, kids? Young guys? My young brothers? Do you know how many guys in the Bible were hugely used at your age that you are right now? Because they were willing to man up, boy up, whatever. You can do that, guys. But I can't push that want-to button. So you and the Lord now, you get it together. And let's watch God take us on this journey and do great and mighty things. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.